Welcome to the all-new Papa's Perspective podcast. It's brought to you by Bob's Discount Furniture, the official furniture store matches partner of the New York Giants. Joined by the voice of the New York football giants, Bob Papa. I am John Schmelk. This is a limited-run, 10-week podcast. Every week, every Wednesday for the remainder of the season, before Giants game, we are going to take a look back at some of Bob's most memorable calls against the opponent, the Giants play that upcoming week. We'll talk about the game, some of the announcers involved in those games, and just the historical perspective that those calls provide and some of the players involved and anything else that might come up that could be a lot of fun. Of course, this podcast will be found on the Giants Huddle podcast feed, which is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which can be found at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and, of course, on all your favorite podcast platforms. Now we're joined by the voice of the Giants. He is the one and only Bob Papa. Bob, I can't wait to take this trip down memory lane with you. Yeah, John, uh, looking forward to it. And first up is the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, despite the fact that the Chiefs are an AFC team that the Giants play once every four years, they certainly have had some intriguing and memorable matchups over the course of time. And obviously, you know, one of them is a historical one in the fact that that was the first game that the Giants played after the 9-11 attacks in 2001, going to Arrowhead where the Giants will be playing this week. And, uh, you know, that was a very surreal experience on a lot of different levels. Yeah, it was about a lot more than just football. Here are two of the big plays in that game. We have a Sean Williams interception, which set up a Rondane touchdown run, Bob, which gave the Giants a 10-0 lead. They would not surrender. Green back. To the 10, looks to the back of the end zone, intercepted by Sean Williams, and he'll go to a knee. Big interception by Sean Williams in the back of the end zone as they were king on the tight end, done, and the Giants turn it right back over. Two tight ends to the right. Giants in their road white. Offset, eye left. Camella in motion to the right. Collins gives for Dane, running right. Parker with a lead block. Dane to the goal line, dives ahead. Touchdown! That's Dane. That's Ron Dane that we drafted number one last year. He's much more comfortable this year. And, Bob, we'll get to the other stuff first, but the football part of this, the Giants were coming off of a Super Bowl appearance a year before. This was a game in September that was important for them to win and was a really nice victory earlier in the year for Big Blue. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that Sean Williams interception was big because when you think about what had happened on the previous possession, Kerry Collins had thrown an interception. So, you know, the team a little deflated at that point. And they needed the defense to make a big play. And, you know, here you are. You're sitting there in the football game and you're thinking to yourself, okay, you know, going on the road, trying to win in Kansas City. Uh, the Giants, you know, turned it over deep in their own territory. It was a third and 11. Collins gets intercepted. So the Chiefs are starting this possession uh, at the Giants' 21-yard line. Giants have a 3 nothing lead. You want to stay on top of them. Chiefs had a first and goal at the six. And then Sean Williams on a second and goal at the four gets the interception, which leads to a Giants drive culminating in Ron Dane's touchdown run. And we heard the call right there. And let's face it, that was the only touchdown scored in the game. So every play was critical. And I, I remember the day quite vividly because of, you know, everything else that surrounded it and the fact that the Giants came away with a win and that famous team photo afterwards all in the first responders' hats is something you'll never forget. Yeah, and we heard Dick Lynch's voice, obviously, on the call. And for him, 9-11 was something that was horribly personal for him because of the loss of his son. Well, and the other thing about it is at that point in time, um, they had not 
had any indication as to whether his son's remains had been recovered. So Dick was still in that awful limbo that so many other families were in. Remember the Giants running out. You're playing in a hostile place like Kansas City. Um, and the standing ovation that they got because they were representing New York, which along with Washington was at the epicenter of the 9-11 attacks. And it was really America coming together. And I'll, I'll never forget during the national anthem and during the moment of silence, you know, Dick Lynch, as tough as nails as a player that there ever was, pound for pound, one of the toughest guys, and just a hardened, tough New Yorker, you know, with his unlit cigar and his swashbuckling style and never backing down from a fight. And Dick Lynch sobbing next to me during the national anthem and the pain that he was feeling and the fact that he even went on the trip to broadcast the game. Uh, and I remember gathering at Newark Airport, leaving for the trip, and I, I kept wondering to myself the entire way as we flew there with the team, how's he doing this? How does he have the courage? How does he have the strength to get on this plane, to go to Kansas City, to do this game, knowing that, you know, your son is somewhere in that uncovered rubble at the time of this horrible, horrible thing that's happened to us as a country. And maybe, you know, during the course of that game, it gave Dick a little bit of a respite from the pain that he was feeling, but... Uh, it is something I'll never forget. It's one of the most memorable experiences of my entire broadcasting career, not from a positive standpoint, not from an actual broadcast, from an emotional standpoint. And, you know, you mentioned the stadium. We lost Jim Fossil this year. He was the head coach of the Giants that year as well. And he spoke a lot about how it, it almost felt like a home game, the way the Kansas City fans, you know, they're not rooting for the Giants, but they were rooting for New York, and they understood the pain uh, of the city and that the players there and the giant players were representing the city and everyone that's been there. And I wish, I don't wish I could have experienced it, but I was not there to, to understand it. You were what that environment was like walking into that stadium as an opponent, but not feeling that way. Yeah. we, you know, we had been there before and you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's to me, Kansas city and green Bay are the two places in the National Football League, and I'll even throw Buffalo in there, as the two places in the National Football League where college meets professional football. There is a feeling in those towns uh, and a rallying point in those towns around those teams, unlike any other city that you go to. And Kansas City uh, is, you know, right up there with those other two places. And... You, you did. You felt like they were rooting for the Giants. You almost felt like the Chiefs players, now they work their tails off. They're trying to win a football game. Their season's in its early stages. But there was almost a part of it where you felt in that game that the Chiefs players were okay with the way the game kind of turned out. And there is tremendous disappointment. I don't think fans realize it each and every week. Fans feel it at home. There's a, there's a loss each and every week when players put their heart and soul into a week of preparation and don't win. This is their job. This is their livelihood. Um, but you, you kind of just got this sense that the Chiefs were happy that day. 
and their fans were happy that day. It truly was a very memorable experience. All right, Bob, let's jump ahead to 2005 now. Giants playing the Chiefs, and this game quickly became the Tiki Barber Show. Toss left for Barber, tries to find a lane, does inside the 40 to the 35, shakes a tackle to the 30, runs out of another tackle at the 25, runs out of yet another, still on his feet, galloping to the 10, to the 5, touchdown Giants! Tiki Barber, a miraculous touchdown run of 41 yards, and the Giants have the lead. 41, after picking up one, after picking up two, after picking up... 10 carries, 13 yards, bang. Manning, handoff right for Barber, cuts it at the 10, to the 15, to the 20, to the 25, to the 30. Up the right sideline, 40, across midfield, to Chiefs territory, and run out of bounds at the Kansas City 35-yard line. Tiki Barber, with a 57-yard run, his fourth run of the season, over 50 yards. And Bob, this is really when Tiki Barber was peak Tiki Barber greatness, which for running backs is odd. He's close to 30 years old. He's towards the end of his career, but 2,000 total yards in, in a few years in a row, and he was really unstoppable in this game. Yeah, it was a Christmas decoration Saturday. You know, the NFL used to stage Saturday games on a regular basis, and I always associated that as a kid with setting up Christmas decorations on a Saturday and having NFL games on. Well, the Giants were playing at Giants Stadium. It was December the 17th. And if you remember going into this game, the Chiefs were a very good football team. Um, Dick Vermeil was their head coach. And this was, on the other side of the ball, at the time, one of the premier running backs in the National Football League was a guy by the name of Larry Johnson, a Penn Stater. Uh, this guy was fantastic in this short burst of time. He had 167 yards in the game. But it was Tiki Barber that really asserted himself there were times when Tiki Barber was able to put the team on his back remember this was still early in Eli's career this is only Eli's first full year as a starter Eli had pedestrian numbers that day three touchdown pass a one touchdown pass one interception a big touchdown pass to Amani Toomer but um, you know the Barber 41 yard touchdown run gave the Giants the lead then he had that big 55 yarder and at that point in time, there are certain times when you can feel a player taking over a game. And Tiki Barber was not going to let the Giants lose that day. You know, the Giants are trying to make the postseason. Uh, it's Eli's first year as a starter. But Larry Johnson gets a touchdown run in the middle of the fourth quarter. And despite all the good things that happened in that game, you know, it's still 20-17. to 17. So Johnson's having his day. Tiki's having a day in front of a national standalone television audience. And then Tiki seals the deal late to ensure the Giants a much-needed win. Manning over center. Chiefs showing blitz. Toss right for Barber. Gets a scene to the 15. Skips his way to the 10. Barber to the 5. Barber fighting for the goal line. Touchdown. No signal. Touchdown, Tiki Barber. His second of the ball game as Giants Stadium erupts. With 2.48 to go, the lead is back to nine. And Bob, you know, Tiki was not part of a Super Bowl championship team. So I think it. some people forget his greatness sometimes. But you compare his stats to Jerome Bettis. You compare his stats to Edron James. There is a real legitimate argument that not enough people make that Tiki Barber belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There's no doubt about it. And, and unfortunately, with the way it's all played out for Tiki, with his sort of 
alienation with Giants fans with his comments on the way out the door and then the Giants win the Super Bowl the next year. And to me, it's it's heartbreaking knowing Tiki personally, knowing the way he played this game, knowing how hard he prepared himself to go from being just a third-round back out of Virginia, uh, you know, a third-down back out of Virginia, you know, someone who thought was going to be sort of like a next David Meggett, to becoming one of the premier running backs in the National Football League. And you put the back end of his career up against anybody. And I think he still owns some records for, you know, final three years of a career rushing numbers. And there's no doubt he's a Hall of Famer. The problem is, is that he doesn't have a rallying point right now because of this alienation with Giants fans and even some of the media and all that other stuff. But I don't think fans truly recognize how great he was. And he was the fulcrum of that offense. He was, And remember, he had fumbling issues. He had all these other problems. And it was with Gerald Ingram coming in as the running backs coach, led by head coach Tom Coughlin, where Tiki Barber's best ball happened then. And what he did that day at the old Giant Stadium is something that none of us will ever forget. All right, Bob, let's jump now to our final game, go to 2009. Why don't you set the stage for us, Giants and Chiefs, in Arrowhead? Yeah, again, you know, here you go. It's a, it's a game in Arrowhead. And anytime you go to Arrowhead, uh, you know, you're thinking to yourself, man, we got to play our best ball to win. It's one of the hardest places in the NFL to win. And uh, this was a game a lot different than the Tiki game where Tiki kind of put the Giants on his back. This was a game where, you know, the Giants needed Eli Manning. And now at this point, Eli's a Super Bowl champion. Uh, He's got that confidence. Brandon Jacobs ran for 92 yards in the game. But Eli had one of those just Eli clutch performance games, 292 yards, three touchdowns, 20 of 34 in the ball game. Um, And, you know, Steve Smith, everyone forgets about how good Steve Smith was. I remember that game because, you know, Knicks was dealing with injuries. Um, That was one of the things that, you know, kind of hampered him. That was his rookie year. Yeah, and Steve Smith, I mean – this is a guy that made the key play in Super Bowl 42 just a couple of years earlier. He had 11 catches that day for 134 yards on 16 targets. He was awesome. Manningham made his usual big plays. Um, I think we got the I think we got the call of that. Let, let's listen in to Mario Manningham doing what he does, make big plays. Team Knicks goes right, Manningham slot right. Goss flexed out wide left, matched up by John McGraw. Smith is in a slot left. Manning out of the shotgun set. Jacobs to the left in protection. Manning takes the snap, back to throw, throws one right. He's got a receiver, bobbled by Manningham, then catches it off the tip and gets knocked out of bounds inside the 20 at the Kansas City 16. With that said and done, look. You know, the Giants have a little party going. Steve Smith had the early touchdown catch, and that was very important because Steve Smith had that three-yard touchdown catch. You got to get on the Chiefs early, and they did. They got a 7 nothing lead out of the gate, led 7-3 after one, put up a 10 spot in the second quarter. Steve Smith, another touchdown catch. Lawrence Tynes, you know, he kicks a field goal for the Giants. Uh, the Giants are in control of this game, and then Akeem Nicks, Big play, 
a harbinger of things to come as he puts icing on the cake. Little screen to Keem Nix. Does not get a block, but shakes out of a tackle. And there goes Nix down the left sideline. 25, 20, 10. Cuts back at the 5 and walks into the end zone for a touchdown. 54 yards to a Keem Nix on a wide receiver screen. Yeah, Bob, and I think this was kind of a transition year, right? From the 2007-2008 Giants becoming the team eventually that would win in 2011, where it's not quite as much defense and run the football. You're starting to air it out a little bit more, and Eli is hitting the prime of his career now where he's hitting the peak of his powers. Yeah, and I mean, look, uh, they were still smarting over what happened in 2008. They were the best team in the NFL. Uh, The Plexico Burr situation happened, which derailed everything. He was the X factor that Philadelphia could not deal with. Not having him in that playoff game changed everything for that team because remember – They beat Pittsburgh. They beat Arizona in the regular season. Those two teams played for the Super Bowl. The Giants were the best team in the NFL. So they had a little score to settle. And going to Kansas City uh, in that that year was, uh, you know, that was a tough, tough game to win. Anytime you have to go to Kansas City and win, and they got the job done. Bob, this was fun. We'll be back next week with a look at some of the classic Giant games against the then- Oakland Raiders, oh. now Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, I can think of a few of them, like Al Davis screaming in the press box in 1989 as David May. I wasn't calling the games back then, yep. but I, we got some stories about the Raiders. And there's also a New Year's Eve game in there. That Well, that... We I, was, can, I would rather talk about what happened after the game back in New York City for us, but we, we could talk about the game, too, in Oakland. Bob, this was fun. We'll talk to you next week. Looking forward to it. That's episode one of Papa's Perspective, a look back at some of the great calls Bob had in Giants-Chiefs games. Next week, we'll do the Oakland Raiders. It should be fun. It's all presented by Bob's Discount Furniture, the official furniture store and mattress partner of the New York Giants. For Bob Papa, I'm John Schmuck. We'll see you next time on Papa's Perspective.